0: update we've had in a little while. I got a pretty big promotion in my job and that has meant that I have been away from home for quite a while. I've been studying and taking exams and doing certifications and traveling for training and doing all this wild stuff and it's been a pretty big deal in my personal life which unfortunately has meant that I have not had the time to edit any of the interviews that I've done. It takes me several hours to edit because I want this to be a good product for you guys, something that you guys really enjoy listening to. So it's something I put a lot of my heart and soul into. It took me a long time, a lot of procrastinating, a lot of missed uploads for me to go, okay, I need to take a step back and hire an editor because I can't do everything on my own and it's okay to ask for help so now with this promotion that I've gotten I have a little bit more money to be able to put into the show and be able to uh, produce something that's quality for you guys. So I hope that you can forgive me for being away and that you will be as excited as I am about the future of the show now that I have a new editor, Marconi on. I am really, really looking forward to what they are gonna bring to the table and how the show's gonna benefit. Okay, preamble ambled, let's get into this week's guest. You probably know her as part of the Critical Role community, the artist behind the Critical Role Tarot cards, her beautiful, beautiful original characters. This is Yana Murishan. She was a delight to talk to. We talked about her OPAF barbarian in D&D, meeting URL friends, IRL, and why it's never too late to follow your dreams. I hope you enjoy our returning interview with Yana Murashan. Let's get Hello, Yana. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. So fun to be able to speak with you because I know you from your art, a lot of which is D&D and critical role based. How did you get into D&D? Firstly, through DeviantArt, I got into the whole
1: role play motif uh, because they had like these very fun groups that you could just have uh, a character sheet and stats and roleplay, and you could level your character by making art of them. So I kind of started on that path, roleplaying from a very young adolescent age. And then a friend of mine introduced me to Critical Role, and then everything started to go to D&D, and here we are.
0: So what appealed to you at first about role-playing? What was it about playing another person and getting into that mindset that really appealed to you? Um,
1: I really love the idea of playing characters. I've always been fascinated by theater, basically, and anything that has to do with playing roles and characters. And so, role-playing and D&D was uh, a super fun and easy way to cater to my inner actor. And it's just very fun and intriguing to get into the mindset of different types of people slash characters. Like, oh, I have this character that she's super sassy and always has snappy comebacks and likes to talk back. Oh, I have this character that she's super stoic and she's like punch first, ask questions, never. And, oh, I have this character that's super lively, uh, but they're using their liveliness to disguise how sad they are. Um, that's kind of like a fascination uh, as an artist as an artist as a person that I'm continuously creating stories it's important for me to be able to get into the head of characters and role play is one of the easiest ways to get into head of characters and like make them believable and just like practice
0: so when you're creating art and you're making you're basing a character off of someone that already exists i think it's you know kind of easy to know what that character is when you're creating original art does that role play element help you figure out who that character is going to be and what kind of expression they're going to have what kind of pose they're going to be in and how the art's going to come out it does help a lot uh especially when i'm doing comics
1: that involve a storyline or not even comics but just um like a short series of sketches with a storyline, it helps me a lot roleplay to get into the head. Even if I'm just roleplaying with myself, I think about it and it it really helps. And also I really love roleplaying with other people because, you know, there's like different types of people and personality, personalities clashing with each other and it really helps bring the characters to life when I'm role-playing and learning what their responses are, how they're going to react to X, Y, Z, what's going to happen, what are they very inclined to do.
0: How has that experience impacted your personal D&D games? Are you playing a campaign right now? Uh,
1: right now, my campaign is on a hiatus uh because we are all have uh first lo- first all to do are uh chores, life things, family things but I did play a very long campaign and several one-shots and my very long campaign I'm playing a barbarian human uh woman and I had a good blast playing her she had a few changes of heart during the campaign. And like at the start of the campaign, she was very, you know, punch, kill first questions. Never. She was like, come on, come on, come on. I want to fight. I want to, I want to do stuff. I want to kill. I want to, I want to be in the moment. And now she's more lively. She's more, um, I don't know exactly how to describe it. But she kind of grew from that phase. She's, she's more like, we need, to do, we need to do the right thing, and we need to do good things, and we need to help people kind of thing. And it sort of happened on a whim in the campaign.
0: I think that being able to explore character growth in the setting of, like, a D&D campaign or some sort of uh, role-playing scenario is something that is so cathartic because in real life character growth is very difficult. It's a very long process. It's something that takes intent and you have to, like every single day, try to grow and change and be a better person. And to be able to do that in D&D, to like have your character go from being, you know, Yana rushes in and punches uh, an illithid in the face. Um, not a smart move to uh, maybe she thinks about it first or maybe she thinks about talking uh, to someone first. I think that is something that we can apply in our own lives and can be very helpful.
1: It is very helpful, but also it happened on a whim because uh, because of the uh, deck of many things. Because she drew from the deck the card balance. So the balance, what, the, what it does, it changes your alignment. Good becomes bad and uh, bad becomes good and it doesn't affect you if you're true neutral so what happened is I was chaotic chaotic neutral and then switched to lawful neutral by force and I've seen myself the need to adapt to her new personality that's what happened didn't happen like on a natural way because if it were up to me she'd be still like oh yeah punch punch never questioned (laughs)
0: So it was a forced change. She wasn't like I should grow as a person. No, <laughs> it was
1: it was interesting, and I kind of appreciated what happened, even though uh, the first epi- uh, the first game, I was pissed about it.
0: Well, it was an interesting new dynamic that your DM threw in, huh? Yeah, I don't mind it now. I learned from it. Is that the most challenging role you've had to play of one of your characters?
1: I mean, imagine you have this character and you've been playing them a certain way for a couple of years now and it's so difficult to imagine your character being anything else or acting anything else and then all of a sudden poof, okay, your alignment's changed. Now you have a moral code and you're more um you're more prone to abiding the law and being moral and just following your code and just uh you know and first two games I was pissed and then
0: I slowly uh, adapted at first you were like I don't want to do this I just want to punch everything yeah exactly that's that's the feeling I had all but all barbarian mains
1: I think have that feeling
0: well, speaking of Barbarian mains, um, when I came across you and your art, it was through Critical Role fan art. And I would like to hear a little bit about why you create fan art for Critical Role, why you love it so much. Oh, oh. Okay, let's get into this. Um, I was introduced to it in
1: 2016 when they started streaming. And... I was watching the videos. I didn't catch up with the live episodes up until episode 20. uh, Or when they started going into Whitestone. And I was completely enamored with this group of friends just nerding out and playing D&D and rolling dice. And I was looking at them and I was like, this is so fun and entertaining I'm just going to keep listening to them in the background while I draw. And I kept doing that. And the more I did that, the more I fell in love with them. And I had fun with them. I I laughed with them. And I love it so much because it's just so so many lovable characters and character dynamics. And it's just... They make you feel welcome and invited into spectating their game. I think that's... The, the thing that I love most about Critical Role and I didn't start doing fan art right away because I had my own things to do, my own things to worry but then little by little I started, I started doing like pieces of fan art drawings and then I started my tarot card series and and Liam contacted me and he was like hey we want to we wanna put your fan art on the slideshow and the stream How can I credit you? And stuff. And oh, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, he's talking to me. Ah, Look, Ma, I'm getting somewhere. (laughs) And that's basically how it started and kind of snowballed. I still don't do fan art as often as I wish
0: I could do. But I still contribute little by little. Now that you're a part of the community, because you are, I mean, you got to make those beautiful tarot cards and you've done wonderful fan art and you've you you know, you've been outspoken about the community as a whole. Now that you are a part of the community and you are undoubtedly a part of the community, you have beautiful fan art, you did those wonderful tarot cards for Critical Role. What has been your experience with the community?
1: The community as a whole is one of the best communities I've ever had the privilege of being part of because they are so understanding it's a is one way to put it. It's we we're very tight. It's we're not that big of a community like let's say uh Warcraft community or League of Legends community or something something else those other communities are so vast that they do some inappropriate things and say inappropriate things to each other but here in this community it's a, a lot smaller and uh we kind of, everybody kind of knows each other and everybody's nice to each other. like, th- There's this thing that we learned from the cast is that take care of each other, be nice to each other, just support each other. And I've seen no other content creators kind of forward that message to their fans and community. And I think it had a great impact with the fandom, and how people treat each other, and they're mindful, and I wouldn't have it any other way, this is hands down one of the best communities, and I, this is one, and the D&D community in general, as a whole, is wonderful to artists, because they're always so eager to get art done of their own characters and their campaigns and they're willing to commission an artists and promote them and support them and just have a, a whole bunch of original art. And I find that amazing cuz there's not many other communities that actually promote art growth and like commissioning artists and stuff. Uh, like other communities, other communities would rather if they see a picture they like of fan art, they'll take it with no credit and just repost it and just do whatever with it they want. But here they it's just, the creators, they always credit pictures if they're going to repost them. They always are defending the artists and saying, "Hey, don't repost this." hey, you shouldn't argue with this artist about their prices because they're doing pretty cheap. Hey, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of critters defending each other and supporting each other. And I think this is hands down one of the best communities I've been in a long time.
0: I do think that, to your point, the creators themselves are very open about fostering a positive community, about supporting one another. And the the folks like Matt, whenever he responds to something, if there's any sort of criticism or feedback, I think that he's very intentional in what he says and very fair. And I think that is true for the rest of the cast and crew. I think that it's a very fair and balanced uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: because they also see a lot of shit from other communities and they know what it's like and they say they I don't want this i want to uh have positive effect and they do that and i think it's amazing and i think other people should follow follow their suit and
0: i will say i had the uh pleasure the privilege to be able to uh, meet Matt once just uh, by pure coincidence we just happened to be at the same convention and ran into each other and I babbled like an idiot and he was very very kind to me as was Marisha like they were both really lovely so I can attest that they're both as nice in person as they seem like they are on the internet Have you had the opportunity to meet anyone from the community? Um,
1: When they came to MCM London last year, I specifically bought plane tickets and a place to stay and bus fare and went ahead to the convention just to see them and have the opportunity to meet them. I didn't get a ticket to get a photograph or sign with them because the webpage collapsed. And by the time it got back up, there was nothing left. So I got a, um, a ticket for a signature for, for Brian Wayne Foster, which he is the host of Talks Machina. And he also is, uh, Ashley's boyfriend. And I met with him in particular. And, he immediately recognized my name, and he was like, "Oh right, it's you and i was so, I was so flustered, and I talked to him a little bit, and I gave him like some care packages with art and prints for the whole cast and He was super nice and I got to talk to him a little bit, and I wanted to stick around the convention i will a little bit longer to see if I could meet Liam but it didn't happen and we ended up texting and uh, saying oh it's next time next time gonna be nice sorry we couldn't meet and then uh, yesterday Satine Phoenix and TJ Storm were on the Euro D&D tour and I went to meet them and they're so Freaking nice! I stopped and listened to the uh, dungeon master conference. I watched them play D and D and hang around. I gave them a couple of gifts, and they were just to they were they were so ec- ecstatic and nice. And I felt so overwhelmed and so grateful to have been there. And I kind of I'm looking forward to meeting more uh, community people and casts, and having the pleasure to having the pleasure to finally make their acquaintance.
0: Well, that sounds like such a wonderful experience. I'm so glad you got to do that. Me too. It was it was amazing. So it sounds like, you know, you've been able to meet some of the folks from this wonderful community you're part of, which is always so lovely. It's so nice meeting people you admire and realizing, you know, they're just as nice as they seem to be. Um, but you're uh, you're a part of the D&D community, the critical world community, and since you're an artist, the art community, have those things overlapped? Have you met any of your fellow artists or forged any connections through these communities that you're a part of? Definitely. I am a major
1: part of the art community and I've met with some other artist friends and peers in MCM London and in Spain. There's a few critical role artists that I love that are in Spain and from time to time we get to meet each other at conventions and I am just so happy to meet them in person and make their acquaintance and it's just feeling of joy to know that there's a lot of artists that are supporting each other in this community as well. And I'm really looking forward to meet more artists uh, when I go to bigger conventions internationally.
0: So having met folks through the community and having experienced the Uh, joy of bonding like in person with folks that you've met on the internet yeah what is that moment like what is that moment of like going and being like I've talked to you for like a year and we've exchanged art and you know we've been back and forth and like it's so nice to feel your real physical like face can you describe that feeling to me ecstatic ecstatic
1: you're ecstatic. You're just like like a, a, a puppy who sees their owner after a long day at work. It feels like forever since you haven't seen him. It's almost that feeling. You just have this warm, fuzzy feeling. And you're just, just so happy to finally meet the person face to face. And it's uh, a feeling that I look forward to having again on more occasions and hopefully we'll be able to do this this year
0: oh that's so beautiful thank you for describing that to me (laughs) I've had that experience a bit myself and it's always so wonderful but I think that it's nice to kind of just like get it out there and just be like yeah there is something about like when you, for instance, like, if you are in a guild or playing a and d campaign with people that you haven't met in person, and then you get together at, like, MCM London or BlizzCon or some sort of convention or gathering, and then you finally see them, it's like, there's not all those moments of like small talk and trying to figure out like oh does this person like me or like what what is their stuff because you already know you already have that connection there's there's none of that like emotional baggage it's just exactly easy. yes Well, speaking of emotional baggage, we've talked a little bit about your Barbarian, and we've talked a little bit about your experience with D&D. I know that in my experience, there are sometimes things that you learn about yourself through playing D and D, I would say life lessons learned through like role playing, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that, like, you know, I'm playing this person who has a really hard time being vulnerable. Maybe I also have a really hard time being vulnerable. Have you had that experience? Have you learned anything through playing D and D? I have learned to be
1: more vocal because I tend to be a shy, reserved person when it's about. A group of people talking to each other and having a conversation if there's a group of people talking to each other maintaining an interesting uh, maintaining a conversation i will basically shut up and just nod and listen and be very quiet and i've kind of learned to be more open and social and uh contribute to the conversation start up new conversations and just be more comfortable with social anxiety and just open up a little bit more and I think d and d is helping a lot of people do that and I think it's awesome
0: yes, absolutely if there's anything you learn from d and d it's how to work in a group dynamic because you have to you have to work together like you're literally a party that works together to achieve a goal, but it's like a lot of social interaction that you kind of have to figure out am I talking too much do I need to let this other person have their moment or do I need to speak up for myself because I'm not giving my character justice that's something that I've also like struggled with in my own personal life is like yeah when I get in a group of people just like you said if there's a good flow I feel like it's rude to just butt in but the thing is that they want you to be a part of that conversation. That's why you're there. You just need to uh, know your self-worth and kind of step up. And it's so beautiful that you were able to learn that through playing D&D.
1: Sometimes you need a little push. And sometimes it's awesome to have that one friend in the group that notices some other people aren't talking that much. And just give them a gentle push and a nod to be more social
0: and active. Oh, yes. They're the real MVPs. <laughs> Heck, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your early fandom. You talked a little bit about DeviantArt and how you were into role-playing before you got into like D&D and Critical Role. But what is the first thing that you can really remember like being a fan of? Assassin's Creed.
1: Oh. Like, when the whole boom of Assassin's Creed started, and by the time Assassin's Creed Brotherhood rolled in, I was deep in it and was a super fan. And immediately I joined a roleplay group called Assassin's Creed Doctrina. And it was all about making your own Assassin's Creed characters, either Templars or Assassins, and just roleplaying and having fun. And uh, it was amazing. I met a lot of good friends, online friends there. And I would have it no other way. And it was one of the... It it was very positive for me because the shy kid got to explore socializing in a different way. And in a way that was safe. And I really loved it. And from there on out, I joined more original content role-playing groups that were not based on fandom of something that already existed, but, like, they were created by the moderators, like, oh, this is my world. Uh, things are like this. Um, These are the races. These are the political factions and classes you can play. And now that I think about it, I did join. They're kind of, like, D&D-ish groups because it's the whole dynamic of making your
0: own world. Yeah, absolutely. A common theme that I find in this podcast when I'm talking to folks is that being a part of a community or being a fan of a certain thing has helped them find their chosen family. Maybe they don't have a good family life, or maybe they're just shy and introverted, and being able to share a common interest with other fans and being able to bond over those things has helped them find a chosen family, a community. What have you experienced along that vein? Have you found your chosen family? Are you continuing to find them?
1: Somewhat like that. I have really good friends, and I do consider them family and if they were, like, to tell me, hey, I'm stopping by your city tomorrow, I'd be like, come on, crash at my place. I got a lot of room. No hesitation. Um, I have a good family. And so I didn't feel, the like, that necessity to find a chosen family. But... Regardless of that all the friends that I've come close to I consider them as family and if they were to crash at my place I'd be I'd be their mom I'd be like okay sit down I'm gonna cook you some good food I'm gonna make you some stew and some soup and we're gonna have fun and we're gonna watch a movie I'm the mom friend.
0: Yes, Yana. Me too. I love being the mom friend. Please let me plan this friend getaway for us. Let me, you know, do these things and take care of you, and uh, let me show you how much your friendship means to me by like exactly. kind of momming you.
1: Exactly, and I, I always carry stuff in my backpack like hand sanitizer, uh, deodorant, soap, um uh, medicine, band aids. Um, lip balm I carry all this stuff because some of my friends are like oh my lips are very chopped and I'm reach- quickly reaching into my backpack and I'm like here's some chopstick
0: alright well if we're ever at a convention together and I need something I'm gonna know where to find you like yeah <laughs> I always come prepared to conventions yeah it sounds like it oh man ugh, <laughs> beautiful I love that we're both friend moms. That's perfect. Um, Well, speaking of being motherly and and momming your friends, I think at least for me now I'm a very like new artist and like I've only been drawing for like a little while. But for me, it feels like when I make something that it's kind of like something that I created, I kind of like mom to that thing as well when you're creating something what is that what is that process for you when you're done do you feel like an emotional connection to it or is that something that you're like oh yeah "Ah, this is done oh yeah yeah most of my drawings are my babies
1: and most of my drawings that involve characters and character designs they are my babies they are my children that I have designed them and created them and I've sent them on their way into the big bad world, and they're growing up so fast. That's how I feel like when I'm like drawing characters and just designing them. And a lot of characters that I made, that I create, that I designed for other people to, when they play D and D. I feel like that. I feel like they're my children. But they're my children, but I I don't play them, but I know they're there, they're doing their stuff, and they're having adventures, and I feel so proud. That's kind of, like, the feeling I I get when I finish creating characters, and it's awesome.
0: Have you had the experience of folks making art of your OCs?
1: A couple of times, and when they did that, I was so flabbergasted and... I was like, oh my god, why would you do this? Oh, oh, my, my First of all, save the image in a folder so I can have it forever. <laughs> and just be flabbergasted and continuously say thank you, thank you. She looks so awesome. I love it. It's uh, an amazing emotion. And um, I love it. And I love when people kind of put on their own spin of the character and I encourage it and I'm kind of excited to see more in the future
0: yeah well you've you've made a lot of pieces that have garnered a lot of different responses and and just like you've had an emotional response to people making art of euro how do you feel when something you make elicits an emotional reaction first of all I
1: feel evil laughter going through my mind when it's uh art piece that involves a very sad and feeling emotional response. I feel full of pride and a witch's cackle. <laughs> exactly. And I just love seeing people be like, oh, how would, how can you do this to me? My feelings are hurt. And other people are like, okay, thanks. I didn't need my heart anyways. It's just I kind of I, I don't often get to draw critical role fan art, but when I do, I go in for the kill. You made me feel my own feelings. How dare you. How dare. <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of response that I look forward to
0: from people when I make an emotional art piece. Well, and I think you do pretty well at that. You and Jonah both, oh, when you get in that sad art... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I try my best. (laughs) When we're here talking about feelings and emotional responses, it's not just going to be what you make other people feel. Let's talk about how you feel. Let's talk about areas of growth you'd like to see in your art. When you're looking at art that you've made or art that you're making, are there areas that you'd like to see improvement on?
1: Definitely. Most definitely. There us artists, the worst art critiques that we can get is ourselves because nobody judges our art and critiques our art so harshly and without remorse than ourselves, and then it kinda, you kind of you kind of lose um heart and emotion and you kinda. Become detached from the emotional vo- involvement of making art, for some from time to time, and you don't wanna experiment with new things and try growth because you'll be stopped there and thinking, "Oh, what's the point? It's gonna look terrible. Oh, what's the point? It's not as good as this artist." And that can happen more often than people think. And there are some areas of growth that I really... I'm trying to get into. Like detailed illustrations and backgrounds and just scenery. I've never been able to get into that. But I'm trying little by little, piece by piece. It's... It it is a whole different art genre on its own because you have to figure out perspective Uh, where's the horizon line what kind of perspective are you you doing are you doing three points two points one point fish eye uh, eagle view and it's overwhelming at first but once you kind of get the hang of it You know where to start, and you know what to do, and just how to do it. And I think a lot of people want growth, but they're afraid that the moment they start experimenting and trying different things, uh, they're going to be disappointed that it came out wrong or bad, and that's okay. It's okay if the art isn't exactly how you envisioned it or perfect it's it is okay not
0: to have it uh, ready at the first try and I think that's great advice because that's something that I struggle with because like clearly I'm in the very beginning I'm in the beginning of stages of making art so like um my art's clearly not perfect like things are maybe not the perspective's not right or you know whatever yeah and that's okay like we all we all got to start somewhere
1: and it's okay better late than never people people don't really comp- people don't really uh, uh get the meaning of that phrase but it is better late than never To do something you've always wanted to do. And people often have this notion that only children have to learn things. That after you've graduated and you have a job, you don't need to learn anything else. Because learning is for children. And you're not a child anymore, are you? Then stop acting like one. But here's the thing. If... You're later in life and you say, hey, i always wanted to learn pottery, but I kind of feel bad about learning and I kind of feel like it's late to do so. Do it. It's just better late than never. And you may find happiness and fulfillment in your hobby or just just it being a hobby or you might move on to it to being a bigger job. And that's wonderful. I always say it's better late than never to learn how to do a particular thing. Better late than never to learn how to take apart your car pieces and put them back together or learn how they work. Better late than never to know how to take stains out of your clothes and stuff. Better late than never to learn how to do proper math better late than never to learn how to cook meals you know everybody everybody thinks that all of these things every you should already know but some people don't know how to actually uh, cook food take apart a car how to properly do laundry and um they think that learning about it later on means that oh you don't know how to do anything you must be stupid you must be a child it's kind of like the vibe that I get from society
0: nowadays I'm sorry I'm rambling (laughs) that's all right it's perfectly all right I think that you have a really good point I think that there are there can be the feeling that it's like I'm an adult and I should know how to do something and I think that if you don't know and you want to know go out and learn because like you're saying it's never too late but like one of the greatest joys in life is the satisfaction of learning how to do a new thing and putting that to use and yeah and whether or not it's you know learning how to change the oil on your car so you don't have to go and pay the money to have your oil changed or whether it's uh, learning how to draw as an adult or learning how to start and edit a podcast you know exactly like- some people are less afraid to learn the latter things but when it
1: comes to like writing and art and everything that's art and culture they're mm. afraid to do is not as well seen as oh you learn how to take apart your cart that's good people who people really look down upon when it comes to art, liter- literature, and
0: culture. Yeah, I think those things, especially uh, especially when you're talking about, from my perspective, the American system, I think things that are more productive and benefit like capitalism are more uh, seen as more useful than the arts and, and literature and culture and things like that. So it seems like a waste to do those things if you can't make money off of it. And what I will say is that it's perfectly good and normal and okay to have hobbies that you enjoy and that give you fulfillment and that, you know, you're learning and benefiting from that you don't monetize. Like it's okay to do that and to just have something you enjoy. I think that's that's something that we tend to forget and we tend to think, "Oh, I'm doing this thing and I somehow need to become successful from doing this thing that I enjoy." Like it's exactly. okay to just enjoy things
1: yeah it's yeah it's okay to just enjoy things it's not it's a thing <laughs> that
0: many people are afraid to say or do. I think that we have given some sage advice. we've had some some good input here. Has there been some art advice that you've gotten that's really benefited you um Yes, when it comes to art block.
1: The whole dreaded art block. Everybody's afraid of art block. As an artist, it's your worst enemy. But here's the thing about art block. Art block tends to go hand in hand with burnout and fatigue. So this is the reason why a lot of people have on their caled- calendar scheduled vacations because there's only so many days you can work uh, straight before you burn out and when you burn out you have this sort of dread to sit down at your desk take up a pencil and start working like drawing when it, when you're in the burnout stage drawing becomes a chore a fear and something you do not look forward to and i went through a burnout phase and i was like oh shit i am overworked overbooked and i'm doing several pieces at a time and i am dreading to sit down at my desk and draw no wonder i'm feeling like this i'm gonna take a few days off and just do nothing watch a movie take a stroll uh play some games, and just relax and After a few days, I completely felt a lot better, and the created flow started to go again, and the feeling of, "Oh, I have this awesome idea! I want to try it. Oh, I really want to draw this i really I really want to paint this color and I want to say to all the people who are listening and aspiring artists, take care of yourselves and be careful not to put yourselves in a burnout situation. Because it sucks. I mean, it's great to take a day or two off a week. Uh, to just dedicate it to yourself and just have fun and relax and just take it easy. And it will help you in the long run. A lot of old time artists nowadays when they feel like they nothing's working, and they're like they're putting down the pencil and they're like nothing's working, I can't draw this, I'm gonna go take a nap. You should do that instead of forcing yourself to draw for the whole ordeal.
0: It's so nice to hear for you that you sat back down after your art block and it came back to you and, you know, you worked through it. And to know that that happens, I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that advice with us.
1: Yeah, it happens more often than people think and they don't realize how to deal with it. And it's as simple as just stopping for the day and maybe take the next day off and just chill.
0: So I know that you talked about being, you know, your own biggest critic and being the person who most, being the person who looks at your art with the most critical eye and thinks, oh, I messed up that color scheme or, oh, like this proportions off or anything like that. Oh, this anatomy could be tighter, you know, whatever it is. What, would be your measure of success? When do you think you would have that moment of like, I made it? Do you think that ever happens? Mm, It's difficult to say
1: because artists often and whatnot, even when they made it, they still think they didn't make it. Even when they're being hired for let's say, comic book cover arts or illustrations for a book or just drawing comics in general when they, they actually made it far they often would not have this imposter syndrome at the back of their mind and they think, oh, I didn't make it I didn't really make it I'm just fooling everybody I'm nobody uh, that, that also happens a lot imposter syndrome and sometimes when you have imposter syndrome, it's okay to sit back and leave a little bit of room for your inner eomaniac to take the wheel for a minute or two and be like, damn, I made it. I'm proud. Look at me.
0: Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> That's, uh oh. yes. All good things in moderation. <laughs> it's okay to be a little bit egomaniac from time to time if it helps you out.
0: It is because I I think that with imposter syndrome is that a lot of creatives deal with it because, like I was saying earlier, within a, a capitalistic society, the idea is that you're just always supposed to reach that next level, that next Plateau of success, that next moment of, oh, my check is another zero bigger. And you're supposed to always be being productive and doing the next thing. And so it's hard to take a moment and just be like, yeah, I did a really cool thing. I challenged myself in a way I never have before. And I never thought I would do this. And it's amazing. And I I think like learning to take those moments and to appreciate what you have done are so 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 important and if you're not suffering from imposter syndrome then you may be suffering from narcissistic syndrome (laughs) exactly
1: exactly keep in keep in mind all you folks who live in a capitalistic society keep in mind that you don't need to have a value to be to be considered a person or to have the right to exist you don't need to be of value to the corporations
0: or capitalism you just you just be you and you just do what you got to do that's true everyone has inherent worth and inherent value and i think that a lot of people are struggling to recognize that but it is true by just existing you have worth and value wow this got of we got into some uh some deep moments there didn't we Anna? heck yeah <laughs> Well, we're going to we're going to swim out of the deep end. And we're going to swim right into game questions cuz I usually ask about the first game that you remember being like really passionate about and that kept you up at night and you just couldn't put it down. You wanted to unlock all those extra levels, get all those side quests. Oh. What game was that for you? The Witcher 3. Ooh.
1: The Witcher 3 is a very good game. Props to the developers and the writers and all the people who did a lot of hard work and soul into that game. It was one of the best games I've played in a long time. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And I would do it again. I don't have time right now, but I would play it again. And it's just one of those games that when it makes you keep up at night and find all those little itty-bitty secrets, because there's just so many things to do on that map. The, map. the world map is huge. There's just so much to do. And I hope wholeheartedly that in the future they're going to make more Witcher DLC.
0: I just have this raging hope inside my heart I feel like I feel that same way about Skyrim like I just keep I know that Elder Scrolls 6 is coming and it'll be out hopefully next year maybe sometime who knows uh who can say with Bethesda? But I think that Skyrim has so many options, just like Witcher, where you can do all these side quests and the world is so huge and you can just go and experience everything. You just can get lost in it. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, appealed to you from Witcher aside from like the vastness of the world? Was it the characters, the storyline? or What was it about it that grabbed you? Um... Everything basically the characters I
1: loved and fell in love with every character, um, the story, it was awesome. It's like Gerald he, he is a stepdad. He's looking for his adopted no he's not a stepdad he's a, he's an adopted father, looking for his adopted child, and he knows she is in danger and she needs help and so he's just like desperate to find her i i love that and um the music the soundtrack is so on point and the world resonates with me a lot because it is set in old europe and i just like you go in game and you see all these forest and the greenery and how beautiful and lush it is, and it just reminds me of Poe, and it just kind of, like, person on a personal level, resonate with it.
0: Do you think that, like D&D, you took anything away from playing that game? I mean, it was a game,
1: but... What I took away from Witcher is that you should trust your gut instinct. Like, if your instinct tells you something's not quite right at this particular moment in time, or you're like, this, pe- this person's giving me a bad vibe, you should probably trust it. Because more often than not, your gut is right.
0: Hey, that's an important lesson. That's no small thing to learn. Exactly. Okay. I think that we're going to start winding down. I think this is the end of the interview. But before we go, I've got a silly question for you. Okay. Hit me. Okay. So we've talked about D&D, we've talked about Critical Role, we've talked about making characters and building OCs and creating worlds, but if you were to create a character based off of the Witcher 3 world and all the things that you loved about that game, and you were to take the character that you made and drop it into the game, what would that character be? First of all, she would be a
1: witcher. Mostly because I haven't seen in the books or comics or, like, in the game any mention of, like, female witchers. And, like, the excuse some people were giving is, like, oh, yeah, women can't tolerate pain or being mutated. And I'm like, okay, first of all, women can tolerate a lot of pain. And yeah, sec- yeah. we make human second of all. Yeah. Second, second of all is just like, they, they kind of like just bring a little bit more variety to the world. It's just, I, I haven't seen. of uh, any of which are women because, because everybody's like, Oh yeah, it's, it's so difficult for a woman to be just like on the road and a nomad and just fight and hunt. I'm like, okay. Are you sure about that? And uh that's what I would do. A a witcher that she's a woman and she's hunting and she's just having the time of her life just hunting and tracking
0: uh dangerous prey and doing contracts. I would love to see that and to like see what kind of turmoil she struggles with and like her reasons for being out on her own and going out there and and what what her motivations are essentially and like oh maybe there's no female witchers anymore but there used to be like witchers used to be It's
1: like like the canon in the game is that right now witchers are so few because they're either being hunted down because they're no longer necessary or they just simply died out because the uh, political governments took over uh, monster hunting, and that's the canon that they present. And they talked about it and they said, oh yeah, there used to be so many of us. And I'm so curious of like, if there were so many of you, where did you all go? Because you can live for hundreds of years as a witcher and just uh, go anywhere. And you just like, if there were so many of you, you wouldn't disappear
0: so easily. Right, right. So maybe her backstory is like, there used to be, you know, tons of male and female and who knows, intersex uh, witchers. And and there just used to be a ton of them out there and then something happened. Oh, that'd be an interesting game to see, right? Like what happened and, and why are hey, there so I'd few now? I'd love to see that. i love to see that. I, I hope they make like more DLC because like the other two DLCs
1: they made were superb.
0: All right, well, we're going to go ahead and send this podcast over to the crew that's working on anything for Witcher. We're going to say, All right, we've got your next game idea for you. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think they're going to buy our pitch?
1: Maybe, but like the only canon Witcher female is Siri, but she's not fully a Witcher because she never went through the mutations or the trial of grasses. So, like, she's a Witcher, but she's not a
0: Witcher. I feel like I could listen to just a whole entire hour of you talking about the Witcher canon and lore and all the different uh, things that happen in it. So maybe we'll have to do that in the future. If you guys want to hear that, please let me know. And until then, Yana, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything that you would like to promote?
1: I would like... um. In the words of our Lord and Savior, Matthew (laughs) Mercer, be kind to each other, help each other, look out for each other. We love you.
0: Oh, oh my gosh, my heart Ow. Okay, thank you, Yana. That was very sweet. Can you tell people where they can find you? You have a Patreon, you have a Twitter. I will link all those things below, but can you let the listeners know?
1: You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, DeviantArt. Patreon and ArtStation uh, under the same name, Yana Muresan. And if you Google my name, all of those web pages uh, come up.
0: Perfect. And again, I'll link those below. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. See you guys. Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Yana. I found it so interesting to talk to her hearing about her process and the things she wants to prove in her art and her thoughts about it never being too late to pick up a hobby to start something you know you've always wanted to do but you just thought oh I don't know I'm a firm believer in like the hardest part of doing something is to start it that's the biggest hurdle it was the biggest hurdle for me was starting this podcast and I'm so glad that I did it so her words really resonated with me I hope you found something in this episode that resonated with you as well. If you want to be a part of the show, you can send us an email at generalchatpodcast at com. If you send me a question, I will ask the interviewees, the guests, if you will, a question at the end of the show. If you want to help the show and me personally, you can leave a review on iTunes. Every review helps me out, helps the show get seen by more people, helps me book more guests, and ultimately helps improve the quality of the show. So while I'm sitting here with my little podcast chair in front of my microphone trying to grow I hope that you will stay and grow with me. I'm excited for the next steps for the show now that we have an editor. And I'm excited to have you along for the ride. So I'll talk to you in the next episode. Goodbye.